Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy our program, give us a like or subscribe and let the YouTube algorithm know. My guest today is Scott Trelor, who is founder of Novitian, a Singapore-based startup that is looking to transform asset management. I spoke with Scott about the problems that he sees plaguing the asset management industry and its inability to digitalize and what a possible future could look like. Scott Trelor, welcome to DigFinVox. Nice to be here, Jane. So, you and I have known each other for some time, uh, meeting up in various fintech circles. And I know that you've had uh, a lot of experience in the asset management industry. And uh, Novacient, your, your company, was created sort of as a response to that experience. So, tell me a little bit about when you were in asset management, what were some of the things that you thought a fintech could Im help improve? Right. So, I, I mean, I guess asset management, it feels like it's, it's almost just on the wrong track in that it seems to be built around gathering assets and gathering assets increases their management fees, increases their revenues. Um, the press was talking about funds flow into and out of asset managers, but you never sort of hear about, you know, perhaps value created for customers. Feels in that the industry is sort of almost intrinsically about customers, sort of more as a resource than customers as the point of the business. And so, in the end, it comes down to sort of alignment, right? Um, well, well, let me let me just stop you there for a second because it sounds like there's two things going on. One is uh, that customer centricity that you started by talking about, which of course is always a theme in in fintech. Yep. The other is just the fact that they've got um, antiquated processes. Uh, now, of course, when you have better processes, more efficiency, in theory, you should deliver some of that cost effectiveness to your client, but it's not necessarily the same thing um, as you know, a client that at the end of the day is thinking, well, I need performance. My, you know, you're there to ensure my assets perform a certain way and I allocate to you based on a variety of things, but most importantly, what asset class and what is that risk adjusted return that you tell me I should be able to expect over a period of time? What, when we talk about the work that you're doing, are these, are these linked and I'm missing something or are we talking about distinct things around value versus internal efficiency? No, they're all, they're all linked. If, if we kind of, Asset management is, is pure information flows, right? We're not making bricks and have to move them around a factory. It's sort of information flows. So this should be an obvious uh, industry that's good at digitization. And the way we're approaching it, there's sort of really three pillars to what we're doing. The, the first pillar is, is a digital platform with APIs where we talk to our turn stream partners, our fund managers, our emerging managers, but we don't work with them in a way that we will take money in from investors and give it to the managers after we've done our due diligence and after we've got comfortable. Instead, we sort of change the model. So our managers will actually send their trading signals and strategies through to us and we'll execute 
uh, and then pay them a sort of performance fee based on how well they do. So it sort of digitizes how that works. We don't have to worry about their infrastructure and their um, you know, office space and their teams. What we're really thinking about is the quality of their sort of return stream coming into us. And so we use kind of APIs and, and portals so everyone can sort of see what's going on. So this, this digital platform that enables everything where we've sort of mapped out all our processes is kind of the first pillar. Second thing you have to solve in funds management is, is the compliance problem. We kind of have an increasing set of rules and regulations and guidelines and uh, uh, contractual requirements that, that just impose a big cost. And right now, the industry, most industries, financial services generally, is sort of faced with this and they really kind of can't deal with it. Uh, in the end, it becomes more of a sort of damage control exercise than a sort of proactive engagement with the rules and regulations. Right. Because <clears throat> it's just a constant tsunami of stuff. Constant tsunami is that more and more and it keeps changing and getting worse. And so what you're continually doing is you're sort of trying to build this, this idea of kind of GRC, governance, risk and compliance, this sort of superstructure of, of chief risk officers and compliance people and consultants giving you compliance manuals and you know nobody's reading the regulations, nobody's reading the compliance manuals. You're sort of hoping it's a checkbox type of after the post list, at least try to show that we were trying rather than actually doing it properly. So this top-down approach we think is actually uh, endemic, but also kind of difficult, wrong in fact. A better way, which we're working on, is to actually start to link the regulatory, statutory, contractual requirements, decompose them into actually individual nodes, and we can link them directly into our operating processes. So what this does is we can now demonstrate to the regulator that each and every sort of rule, you must do this by this date with this deliverable, we can show that we are delivering on. So we can be sort of affirmatively, continuously compliant. And if something changes in the rules, we know exactly where to change in our sort of processes. So that starts to digitize, automate, basically removes the sort of human intermediation from the compliance problem. That is a big and expensive problem. All right. All right, so we've got digitization of operations and we've got uh, connectivity into the various regulators so that you have some way to uh, respond to them. It, let, let's start with the digitization part first. Hmm. Fund managers are, you know, amongst all the different types of financial institutions are, are usually at the uh, behind the curve. They're, they're smaller, they don't have the same level of budget. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, difficult for them, I think, to understand what to do uh, and, and where to get what they need. At the same time, they've got, they've embedded in this whole service layer of, of vendors, of custodians, uh, brokers, uh, and, and other parts of the, the ecosystem that are, you know, <clears throat> continuing to serve them. I mean, they've got a legacy or a, a heritage system that they can't just abandon. Yeah, so, exactly. Obviously, digitization is hard. <laughs> I think that's what we can we can agree on. Right. It's hard. So, um, 
what what is it about you know if you've built something from scratch um it sounds like a sort of a, a bank of strategies that you can then uh call upon to deliver a different mix of returns but is that it really enough to get a mainstream medium or large scale asset manager to be able to then say okay well i'm just going to sort of adopt this version of of how you operate to, to streamline because if it was that easy wouldn't they have done this a long time ago oh yeah i think the big the big fund houses are in a difficult position right because they've 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 got a big investment in you know vintage there's a vintage technology that um that that is kind of again held together there there's a sort of manual processes you know we have we have multi-billion dollar asset managers here basically being run on spreadsheets um so the mindset the manual undocumented processes the technology just makes it very difficult for the existing sort of incumbent fund houses to succeed we think but even more if you think about it um we have not structured the industry well Right, so it's like uh, every fund manager, small and big, and often the smaller emerging managers are the sort of better ones that can deliver better returns because they're, you know, they're more motivated. They're sort of nimbler. They're, they're fitting the, the the pocket of opportunity better. But you know, we're expecting them to be able to do everything, right? From operations, compliance, legal, capital raising, marketing, technology, uh, and actually doing the the trading strategy as, as well. That doesn't make Sense, right? Most of those don't provide any sort of edge. What perhaps yeah. makes sense will be a sort of platform. Yeah. But again, like large yeah. banks, uh, big custodian banks have been offering mid office outsourcing for for years, uh, and some of them do it. Um, but again, it's, you know, these are large trusted institutions with the resource to manage the headcount and, and do everything for that outsourcing. And yet that's still a very slow process. Uh, it's, it's not always co as common as you, you might think, um, even though these are not considered core, strategically vital parts of the asset management business, but it still seems quite difficult for them to sometimes offload that, even to like big brand banks that, uh, that, that have been around for, for, for a very long time. Yeah, no, no, I mean, financial services feels, it doesn't feel, it really leaps to take advantage of, of different ways of doing things. It, it's quite conservative and, and slow to move. Nevertheless, you know, the way we set up is a platform and what we're very focused on is making it plug and play for our uh, asset management partners to be able to sort of log in. They can get access to our administrators, our, our uh, brokers, um, execution. We can provide that sort of visibility. We have a lot of analytics that we can sort of feedback and sort of build once and many people can use it that means they're increasingly able to say well i can just focus on my strategy then i don't need to think about the other seven things that weren't giving me any sort of edge so sort of a, a, an adam smith idea of specialization right yeah <laughs> but so but, what, what is it about the platform that you've got that a that a large bank's custody business with all the technology that they've invested in um you, you know what, what's better about a fintech doing this than than a big right large scale big budget financial institution to serve them um yeah so their tech their technology is often 
not great technology, right? They've spent a lot of money, but it's, it's now 20 years old. And what we're seeing is this sort of big wave, you know, this open source type of movement. Um, you know, we partner, but we never really um, go to existing technology vendors. We, we can now build and access open source type software. So we can sort of create a kind of customized modern plug and play modular solution. You know, if, if different components are offered by a, a new group that are better, we can sort of take the current component out and, and plug the new component in. So there's a whole different way of operating. But, but also our mindset is, is we want to help on one side our emerging manager partners and the other side our investors. We want to strip out costs. We want to make sure there's sort of alignment of interests along the whole value chain. So there are groups that kind of offer tech, but firstly, they're not they're mostly not on your side. <laughs> and secondly, uh, their tech is often clunky. Not, it's, not, it's not great. There's, it's amazing. So, so what you really need, where we think uh, the opportunity is, is you can build from afresh, right? You haven't got a bunch of legacy things that you need to sort of uh, take account of to make things kind of work. Novician's been at this, uh, you've been doing this for what, six years now? Yeah, five or six years. Yeah, okay. So in that time period, what's been the take up? Who's using Novician for this sort of thing? Uh, you, you know, how are you managing to, to keep the business uh, working? And, you know, what, what's the, the type of client that's going to be willing to, to take this leap? We've had emerging managers, smaller managers, trading groups come to us to say, listen, I've got some investors. I've got my strategy. I don't want to run a fund. I don't know how to do it. Operations, compliance, legal. It's not my strength. Can you help? So we can. What we can do is create, essentially spin up another instance of our platform mm -hmm. and allows the manager to just focus on the strategy. We'll look after everything else. We've already got service providers connected. Their investors can sort of log right into their fund. Everything is kind of real-time transparent. So, so that starts to build a sort of ecosystem. This is the thing we call Fundbox, fundbox.ai. So this is starting to build a sort of ecosystem of these managers. So we've got a large, uh, we've got uh, first couple of instances of Fundbox. One's a Singapore hedge fund that, that we're uh, constructing at the moment. Another one is a large, um, it'll be a $200 million fund focused on women. So there's a sort of angle, which is most money in the world is managed by men. You know, and, and diverse managers get very little money, but they also potentially can deliver better returns. I mean, female managers, there's some, uh, there's some statistics, and we, you know, we, we have had a look at this as well, where they can actually, you know, they're a, bit, a little better at handling risk. But also, if you are an allocator, eventually people are going to start to say, well, you know, who are you allocating to? And they'll say, well, you know, it looks like it's all men. So we need to, we want to start to sort of rebalance that. So that's one of our sort of fun box initiatives. So we have, we, we're essentially building solutions that better link return streams to investors in a kind of costless, frictionless way that is products that we can create and 
dynamically manage ourselves, but it's also um, Funbox solutions for managers that want to come and leverage on our infrastructure. And there are some other things that we'll do. We do a sort of fact sheet as a service thing. That, uh, so um, just li listening to you explain this, Scott, I get the feeling that, you know, there's scale matters, right? Scale impacts the nature of your business. If you're very large, yeah. uh, then that's where you know, the marketing and that peer comparison is really important. Uh, because you're dealing with big pension funds and sovereign wealth funds, and they're looking for that. They, they need to be able to write large tickets. They need a safe pair of hands. They need a very process-driven uh, institution. They need to kind of know how you operate, even if the returns themselves aren't that great. Versus a small manager, a new a, a startup, um, a small hedge fund, uh, somebody with a, a special niche, uh, you know, th that team is, um, you know, they don't have the luxury of, of uh, saying, well, we're just tracking, you know, our peers, we're in, you know, top quartile of the peers, but everything else is terrible. They, uh, uh, they you know, and, and, and some consultant decided that they're, uh, they're, they're going to be top three or top or, or what have you. Instead, they just have to perform. They just have to deliver, whether that's absolute return or whatever it is in their asset class. Uh, and so, you know, and these are obviously the ones that because they have to, they had to perform. Uh, they live and die by that performance, rather than by having a big marketing and a brand and you know, what? fifty years of history. So that's uh, so. I'm I'm guessing that that's you know, you are trying to create a an environment, a, a business platform to enable small uh, managers like that find a place that gives them the support so they can go off and just do their thing. Yeah, exactly right. So they they're not small. They're often not that small, right? They're really up to five hundred million. In AA. But that's still problematic for the bigger allocators, right? So if I'm a, an allocator with, with $10 billion, I say maybe I would like to allocate a billion dollars to these emerging managers because they know these emerging managers are actually delivering better returns. And they think, okay, I want to allocate a billion dollars. I can, even a $200 million manager, maybe they can't be more than 10% of the of the AUM of that manager. So maybe it has to be a $20 million allocation. So a billion dollars that is gonna move the needle for the allocator would require them to do 50 lots of investment of $20 million to these small managers to, for it to work. Uh, and 50 lots of, you know, you spend a hundred, $200,000 on due diligence. It takes you six, 12 months, 24 months to, it just doesn't, work, right? This is this sort of the frictions and the costs that we want to sort of remove. They can't get the scale. The allocators can't get the scale in the emerging managers because the industry frictions are sort of so high. So what they do is they just give their money to the very big managers again. Is Bridgewater, here's my, my check again. So it's a problem on both sides. The allocators want to allocate the managers are delivering good returns but can't get access to the capital. So the, the logic, that the platform logic, the digital way of working this is you don't just provide money to us and we provide money to them because it's the same model, right? We'd have to work out that the money's going to be safe and not lost and are their processes robust. We flip it around and they just send their trading signals into us. So, and then we execute profit share with the emerging managers. So they're aligned in terms of performance. They're, they're paid on performance, not on just uh, management fees. And we can give allocators exposure to comfortably a billion dollars, $2 billion, 
more of you know, 10, 20 emerging managers. And all they have to do is get comfortable that, that our platform is, that our, uh, uh, in, our fund is operationally robust and we're just aggregating all these sort of return signals. So that removal of the frictions of sort of operating due diligence, but also two other kind of benefits come out of that for the allocators. One is there's transparency. You don't get, uh, at the end of the month, here's my snapshot of what happened in my hedge fund. We see their trades and we can pass that visibility through to the allocator you know, in, in real time, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. because we're executing. So you, there, there are no surprises. You haven't done some weird option trade in the middle of the month that, that, that either worked or didn't work. Um, and also we can now make it a bit dynamic, right? So the allocator may say, listen, I'm interested to be, for it to be, for my return profile to be like this. I want Asia, but not Japan. Equities, I, I don't like commodities. I want this or that. It's very easy in this sort of information, digital way of operating to customize the solution. It's like, do you want a, a, a bespoke suit or are you just gonna buy another thing sort of off, off the rack? So, so, you know, we're up against an industry that again is sort of slow to move. <laughs> Nevertheless, some, some absolute advantages in for bigger, pools of capital to get access to managers that they otherwise just can't get access to in a framework that is solid, transparent and aligned, kind of we think it will truly get yeah. uh, Last topic is just what's the underlying technology that gives you the capability to do this that uh, makes it uh, effective and, and workable? What are the various, uh, is it just straightforward API connectivity or is there anything, is there an AI component to it? Um, so it, at a base level, there's kind of, we're, we're kind of virtual private cloud in Amazon. We, we run, uh, increasingly run a sort of scheduling underlying. And so there was Airflow now moving to Prefect, which allows us to, to schedule and run and chain together um, processes. You know, in other words, let's get the benchmark data in. That just happens. We don't have to touch anything. Return data flows in. We have API connectivity for our partners, uh, our sort of hedge fund partners, service providers as well. Um, we are also working on ways to get that sort of text contractual information into our databases, really more through form. As an industry, we have to move off this terrible investor onboarding process where people fill out with pen on PDFs, you know, their subscription forms repeated 25 times. And then you say, can you, we want to, they say, I'd like to redeem. And then they have to fill out exactly the same information again. And you mistranspose and all this. So there's a lot of, you know, stuff that we can do there. But more fundamentally, if we get the data and the processes sitting all in the one place, we're looking to starting to work on a sort of decision-making overlay. So this thing that we call sequential decision analytics, which allows us to think about the world as state that captures a lot of information about, um, in, in sufficient information for us to make all our decisions about the world at each point in time. And then we build decision processes that 
make our decisions. So for a particular solution, this decision process will be, how do we select the strategies into this solution? How do we allocate the capital? What risk control do we have? So, so we're increasingly turning all of the decisions that we make into automated processes. And this sequential data analytics, is this something that is like, you just need a lot more data and it's something that will be available in some, at some point in the future or is it something that's real now? No, it's, re it's real now, but it's de sequential decision analytics. So the key is this, right? The industry, I think the world is starting to realize big data, kind of a good idea, but, but uh, what you actually now need to, to put in place is sort of models and structure. So you don't necessarily need big data, you just need structure, uh, which reduces your data requirements because it kind of constrains what you're trying to think about. Um, that then allows you to, to make good decisions through time, right? So AI machine learning is often a kind of analysis type of thing. You take a lot of data and you come up with an insight. It's like, well, fine, but sort of, so what? Then I have to, we, Sequential decision analytics is really taking that to the insights are coming out from, from analytics and it immediately kind of feeds into a decision process. So, you know, part of what we're searching for are optimal decision processes, looking back through time, kind of simulating forward so that we can scale, right? So we can start to produce many solutions that will sort of run on their Oh, and we'll put guardrails around it. We'll sort of have some human oversight. There's okay, well, it's a, it's a, it's an automated decision process, you know. But if if it goes to these bounds, will the humans will come in and have a look? But a digital operating model, which is our sort of essence of our sort of being, enables things like this. It enables this regulatory thing that I talked about earlier, but also enables a way to sort of do smart decision making through time to allow you to scale. So we could potentially scale to, to, to AUM, but we can also scale to many uh, investors, right? Customized solutions down to very small amounts because in the sort of frictionless, costless way of operating with smart decision making, you know, we can do what the robos should have been doing, but, but never really did, right? I was about to say, what's your AUM <laughs> to get a sense of how well you guys are doing. But that, that I think would be uh, based on this discussion, the wrong, wrong way to measure uh, novitiates. So uh, let's leave us with what is the, the metric that uh, you would like to leave us with? To just tell, tell us where novitiate is in his journey. And in a couple of years from now, say three years from now, what metric, uh, what, what, what should that be at? So we will be, we expect to be cash flow positive this at the end of this, by the end of this year. So that's a kind of unusual thing, perhaps for a fintech firm, many of these, those unicorns that are not doing that. So, I mean, we're really trying to catalyze deep change in the industry, but, you know, in the same way that say Vanguard took a long time to, 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 to change the mindsets from, you know, active to sort of indexing. Um, we are, we are a long-term deep change sort of play. Um, and that, that's just going to take time. Right. Scott Trelaris, thank you so much for sharing what you're doing at Digpin Vox. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jane.